All right, welcome back in. It is the Garage Talk podcast. Garage Talk with Jason Allen, not in the garage, in the bedroom. And welcome in, Stacy Peterson. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Absolutely. I stumbled across something that you put out earlier this week. It may have even been, was it yesterday or the day before? It was, I think it was Wednesday night, yeah. Okay, so uh, a couple of days ago, and I think it really caught me and caught my eye was a headline that said, I've almost died a bunch and... Here's why I'm not trying to be productive during COVID-19. There's a little teaser for you. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on. But first, I wanted to kind of start from the beginning and kind of get a little bit of background on you before we dive into your your current situation and things that I think are definitely good for people to hear. But you and I actually went to the same high school a few years apart, alma mater, the Glendale Pirates. Yep, absolutely. I was class of 93. I'm so old now. (laughs) Well, I wasn't very far behind you. You know, you grew up in Azalea, correct? Yes, that's in the middle of nowhere in Azalea. Well, when we say Glendale, Glendale is kind of like the hub. And if you grew up in Azalea, you went to school in Glendale. So if people don't know where Glendale is, which a lot of people think it's Arizona or some other Glendale, uh, if you can't figure out that it's Glendale, Oregon, then you're probably definitely not going to figure out Azalea. Uh, it's very small and just kind of on the outskirts of Glendale. And what was it like for you growing up there? Well, my parents were hippies, so we had like no neighbors. We had we backed up to the forest management, you know, area. So we had one neighbor that was quite a ways away, and um, it was extremely rural <laughs> to put it mildly but actually I loved it I loved where I grew up I thought it was beautiful and um I don't know I think I learned um a lot about looking at life differently than had I been raised like in the suburbs or a city definitely you definitely uh grow your imagination when you have no one around to play with or do anything with well growing up then definitely a lot different than growing up now mainly because of the technology, whether you grew up in a, or now you grew up in a city, or even if you're out in a more rural area, you have technology at your fingertips. So you can feel like you're more connected, especially than we were, you know, because we are similar in age that there just wasn't anything like that. And so you were just connected to whatever was around you really for the most part. And if you wanted to talk to someone, you had to make sure you were there when they called on the phone, which yes, makes it sound old, but that's the reality. Yeah. In fact, we had a party line for a long time. So you'd pick up the phone and you could hear like the neighbor talking. So (laughs) it wasn't even just your own phone. So it's definitely a different time. Now you said that you grew up with kind of hippie parents. What was that like? Um, I think that, uh, (laughs) it's, it's like, there's a lot to that, but I think the biggest takeaway for that was really just, because it was somewhat so removed, I think, from pop culture and kind of the way the world was working at that time, to be more rural and on the farm, and um, is that it really uh, did give me a different perspective of what was important in life. So that when I did kind of get into the quote real world, um, it was it was a benefit as far as being, you know, a comedian and doing what I do now to see the world in just a different way. So as you were going through school and the Glendale school system and trying to figure out where life was going to go, what did you want to do? Well, you know, it's really funny. I loved where I grew up, but I remember the exact moment. I was 12 years old and I was out in our meadow and I was looking over the mountains and I thought to myself, this is a really beautiful place, but I want to see the world. And I didn't even really know what that even meant. I just thought, I I, I, I want to go. I want to experience things. I want to travel. Um, and so I made a decision right there and then that I wanted to go to college because that was the only way I knew to basically kind of get out from where I was. Um, not that it was bad. It just I wanted something different. And then I think, you know, it really was a teacher, uh, Mrs. Leahy. Was she there when you guys were there? You know, I think it was on the very tail end for her. I don't think I ever had her. I remember there was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Leahy, which they're legends at Glendale High School, along with, in my opinion, a handful of other legendary teachers that we had there over the years. But 
So I, I knew of her and her personality and heard plenty of stories, but I don't think I actually ever had her as a teacher. Yeah, she really, um, I really credit her with my career, actually, because uh, it was my freshman year and she read, so we had a journal and she read some of my writing and she pulled me aside and said, you kind of have a unique view. Um, and I, so she just encouraged me. She actually had me write for the Oregon State Veterinarian Magazine. Her daughter was um, a student there at the time. And it kind of exposed me to a lot of different things that I wouldn't have been exposed to so much so that my senior year, she actually pulled me out of regular classes and she took on kind of educating me for the first half of the day. And then I had to take my primary classes the second half and um, encouraged me to try acting and uh, took me to a competition. And that competition is actually what propelled me to get a scholarship and eventually be able to study theater. What a cool so situation really where you had hurt. someone who saw something in you and then acted on it and actually put themselves out there to help you. And I think one of the yes. things as I introduced you, I did a poor job of talking about some of the things that you do. So let's just touch on that real quick that you uh, do motivational keynote speaking and you've done comedy and all types of different things. So she was obviously an integral part of that. Yes. Yeah. And I had thought to myself, I'm going to be a teacher. Like that seemed like a good thing to do. I never even thought about acting or trying different things. And, um, she really exposed me, you know, the comedy and, um, and speaking and so forth requires a lot of writing. And so I feel like she just exposed me to more possibilities than what I saw for myself. So, yeah. So you get a scholarship and where do you go to school? So I went, I, my first two years at, um, Umqua Community College, um, Harvard on the Hill. Yeah, and I had the theater. I think he just retired a couple of years ago. I saw uh, Dean Remick was, and he was another teacher that just kind of took me um, and encouraged me and really pushed me to continue. And then I graduated from Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington with a BFA in theater. So you're going through college, and then at some point you actually have to get a job or start that career. And what was that process like for you? Well, it gets a little complicated uh, because um, I was actually doing really well with theater. I was starting to do get booked for film. I did film and commercial work. And uh, then I got married to my first husband. And right after we were married, I was actually going to go get my master's in uh, theater. And he was like, hey, I don't really like this acting thing. So you need to pick. So I second. didn't act. So <laughs> pick between acting like and him. And him? Then, yes. What? Yeah. Is that when you yeah. see a red flag go up? Well, or it was no? a little too late because I was already married. So I felt like I was committed and um, I have always just taken my commitments very seriously, no matter what it was. So, yeah. So I didn't act for 15 years. Okay, hold on a second. Now, I'm learning a lot of this information right <laughs> along with everyone else. I know part of your story, but not all of the details and really I didn't want to I didn't want to dig too much because I I wanted to learn right along with everyone else. Um so you say you're 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 good with commitments, but it sounds like you have, you had two commitments and then you obviously went with him and so there's a 15-year period that goes by. Yeah. So I had uh, what I, I did start, I had a children's theater school here in Colorado Springs area. Um, I live just north of Colorado Springs and I started children's theater and I taught that and I did a lot of sketch writing at that time, for, actually for other people. And um, so I stayed in acting that way, like just in the writing process and so forth. Um but I wasn't actually pursuing it at all myself. Okay. Um, yeah. And how long were you married? Was it that? Was it four, fifteen years? Um. 
Well, yes. Okay. So um, then what happened was my first husband was diagnosed with a serious illness when he was 30. And I had two young kids at home. And so for the next several years, I went from, you know, I was teaching this acting school, but it was kind of a stay at home, like I was doing both. Um, to now all of a sudden, I needed to go get a job and keep everything together. So I spent the next several years working two or three jobs at a time, just doing whatever I could to keep food on the table and keep everything going. And um, it was it was tough, but you know we all have seasons where we're in survival mode, which many of us are probably experiencing right now, where mm-hmm. you just do the next thing to keep things afloat. And I really didn't have time to process what was happening. Um, That um, illness began to affect him mentally. And I ended up needing to leave that marriage um, for myself and for my children. And uh, so then my story goes on from there. But it all just completely fell apart after that for quite a while. (laughs) So... So should we skip that part or is that something no, you think is a good idea to talk uh, about? Worse. Because because sometimes those things that happen, yeah. a lot of people have had experiences like that. Maybe they haven't talked about it, but sometimes it's good to hear people talk about it. You're welcome to if you'd like to. And if you want to skip over that part, that's fine too. Uh, no, I because I feel like it's really applicable again. Well, it's really, this is, I, I share a lot of this when I go and speak. And um, so I do comedy w- with my speaking. And uh, so I, after that marriage, I, I was going through that divorce. I did get back into comedy um, and um, acting. And uh, I, it was an agent. I went to see him. Basically, the lady I had started the theater school with, she was like, she set up the audition. She goes, you need to go and see this agent. And I said, I'm old. I was 35 at the time. I said, I'm old. I'm too, it's too late for me. And she did it anyway. And I went in and he signed me on the spot and immediately started sending me out. And I just started booking commercials and little bits here and there of film. There's not a lot of film in Colorado. And so I kind of got thrown into the acting world. Uh, right away after that. Um, but then I had also started a nonprofit to work with kids in the arts and we were building a musical theater set and I stepped on a rusty nail and it healed fine. Um, it wasn't tetanus. Uh, but through the marriage I had, um, I was handing over the house to him. I gave him the house and, and everything. Um, and, I the week my divorce was final, I went to sign the papers to the house and I started feeling sick and I almost died. I um I don't remember much about that experience. Um but basically what had happened was I stepped on the rusty nail and bacteria had gotten in my bloodstream and I had gone into septic shock and almost died. So I do remember the moment of almost dying of, you know, just the thoughts that you have and regrets. And, um, and I would say the biggest takeaways were what you hear about is relationships that the people that you love, um, and care about the most those really are the number one priority. And the second was that I had, I think from my past and my first marriage is I had felt like I, Um, had wasted so much of my life being a people pleaser of trying to do and fit into a role that I didn't belong in. It wasn't true to who I was as a person. And I I just felt like everything I'd done was a waste. So um, I didn't die, obviously, because that would be really creepy right now if I had. (laughs) Or really cool. If you were back, <laughs> I mean, because then maybe yeah, we would look at the current situation a little differently. <laughs> yeah. So when I left the hospital, I couldn't walk. And so I ended up losing my job. Um, so basically in three weeks time, I had lost my marriage. I'd lost my home. I'd lost my health. I'd lost my ability to take care of myself and my children, my independence. And 
the, the job that I had at that time, those people were like my support system. So I felt like I'd lost my support system as well. And I know many people right now, just with the virus, life has changed so quickly in such a short amount of time that many people feel that same way. Like everything has just been severed immediately and it's hard to figure out how to move forward, like how to, how this looks and how to keep going. And, um, it's chaotic and stressful and, um, and we find ourselves thrown in this. So I've kind of been there. Um, and with the infection, um, I never quite felt right. And to make a short story long, <laughs> it came back. Uh, the infection has come back five different times. Wow! And I've almost died each time. I've had surgery um, each time I did, like, you know, weeks long of IV antibiotics daily. And, um, and the last time that that had happened, um, I was – because I had had surgery and they told me, this is it, we've killed it, you're good. Um, it came back right away and that sent me into severe depression. I was diagnosed with PTSD from almost dying so much. And it was a good year and a half of really struggling to finally kind of start climbing out the other end. And I learned a lot through that time of, you know, um, just the value of um, – feeling heard and not feeling alone, um, that most people do struggle at times and, um, and basically kind of what's needed to move forward. And since then I can say it's been like the greatest gift because I love my life now. I'm happily married. Um, I have a dream job. I get to fly all over and encourage people and combine humor and my theater background and, just my story to be able to encourage people. And it really has been, it's, of course it's life. So, you know, it gets complicated at times and it's not like this perfect rosy thing, but really I can say that it has been for me personally, a, a very happy ending to a very long story. So when you came out of that, let's say the last, how long ago was it the last time the infection came back? Uh, Four years ago. Okay. And so yeah. was that in yeah. the, like your career as you, what you have right now is already underway. And so it happened again when you're in the middle of all of this that you do now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I had, was doing the acting thing and I actually stumbled into stand-up comedy. I didn't even know what it was because I didn't grow up with it. Like I never, even, I didn't know what a comedian was. And way back when, when I was still writing sketches, I wasn't acting, but I was writing sketches for people. They always just kind of naturally came out funny. And eventually I got asked to perform, me to perform it. And then somebody hired me. And I remember I was so excited because I got paid $350 for an hour. And I thought, geez, you can make that kind of money. And now I look back and I go, oh, that was like, I didn't understand any of it. So um, and I didn't even know it was comedy. And then I won a competition in 2013, and that really propelled things forward for me. And what was that competition? It was Colorado's Got Talent. Um, and I did make it through all the rounds except the last one for America's Got Talent, but I didn't have enough video at the time. What? So they need more video. Yeah. And how does that work for people who don't know? Is it that you have to submit like five minutes, 10 minutes, a half an hour? What does that look like? It was actually um, from the Colorado's Got Talent. The producers from America's Got Talent contacted the lady who ran that and they were separate. They, I, I don't really understand how all that worked. They were separate, but she pitched me to them. So they had me come and do a live audition. And um, so, I, but normally I think, I'm not sure how that works, actually. <laughs> so, but they kept like the producers were like, okay, do you have a video like of this many minutes or, you know, what do you have? And so, um, and then I had some interviews and, and so forth. But yeah, that was when they were like, you don't have enough video. I said, okay. Is that just because you What's were so new be? to comedy? Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm, you know, I didn't, I don't love doing stand up. I love 
being a funny motivational speaker. Like I like the to share other stuff than just trying to worry about how many laughs per minute because it could get stressful. You yeah. Know? You know, just in our line of work of being on the radio, obviously we don't get to see the audience, but there's times where we've been out in front of the audience and you're expected to entertain them. And I could see how stand up could be very, very stressful. And I've listened to enough interviews with comedians and they talk about, you know, killing it per se, which may not be the best term, right? The second to use, but it's, it's what they use. Um, yeah. And so myself, I would, I mean, I don't mind standing up there and cracking a few jokes or trying to make people laugh for a second, but stand-up comedy, no thank you. Like, I, I like what you're doing, like the whole motivational thing with the humor, you know, intertwined into it. It just, it, not easier. Easier is not the word I'm looking for, but just maybe not as stressful. Yeah. Yes. To me, I feel like I tell my comedian friends, I'm like, the bar is so much lower with humor. Like I, like you can say something that's not even that funny. And they're so used to dry, boring speakers that they just like think you're the greatest thing ever. Like if you have three funny lines in an hour, they love you. I mean, I have a lot more than that, you know, but um, yeah. I, so, and it's just more fulfilling, I think to be able to give some hope encouragement, that kind of stuff. So as you were getting into the whole motivational speaker thing, what was that like for you when you kind of got out there the first few times? Um, Still to this day, I have horrendous stage fright. So the first thing that pops in my mind is terror, (laughs) pure terror, lots of fear. Um, I, you know, it was pretty surreal um in that you know when you're an actor you're a character and so you're not really yourself so they don't like your character if you do a good job like you're a good actor and you do a good job and they don't like your character it's not that's okay because it's not you that they don't like it's the story of who that person is when you get up as a comedian or a speaker and they don't like you it's that's you (laughs) and so it's it's very uh different feeling um, with that, but I just, um, usually it, what made me continue on, um, cause I did a lot of rough gigs where, you know, I'm traveling six hours to Kansas to do a, you know, a hospital dinner for a couple hundred dollars. And I would just take any gig I could get to learn. And some of them were hard, like just the setups and just, you know, everything that's involved, Um, but it was always the after where someone would come up and say, you know, and they would share their story that they were just diagnosed with cancer or they're living in a one room studio apartment with five kids and they don't, you know, they don't have a job. Like, so just hearing the stories of their struggle and, um, that what I had to share meant something that was so fulfilling that that's definitely what keeps me going beyond my fear. It was just that sense of purpose. So when you talk to people and you show up for these different events, are you trying to tailor it? Because I don't really know a lot about motivational speaking. Is that what you're doing? You're just trying to tailor something to the crowd? Or do you are you just trying to share your story and put a, a humorous spin on it? Um, it depends on what the event wants. So sometimes they just want funny. And they'll say, you know, this is who they are. We're just trying to lighten it up or it's a fundraiser and we just want some humor. Uh, Most of the time, though, it is a specific crowd. So we do a lot of big conferences and so forth. And they have a lot of what they call breakout speakers where they're they go you go into different rooms and you learn different things. But then they want everybody to come back and have, um, you know, some fun or a big motivational speech. And that's. where I get up and and then kind of customize a talk to what they're looking for, what benefits, the, who their attendees are. But most of the time, you know, we're all human. And um, I do a lot of different industries. And I think it's because it's a human element of we all deal with stress. We all need to overcome challenging things. Uh, we all want to live a happier better quality of life. It's something that we all want for ourselves and for the people we love, for our kids, our families. And so I think that's a bit universal. Yeah. You mentioned earlier before we started this that you had to shoot some videos today. I'm curious what you were working on. 
Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I lost all my events from the virus. So, um, I, um, so now they're, um, looking virtual to present virtually. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And so I'm getting asked if I would like to contribute or submit to certain conferences or associations, groups, that kind of thing. Um, my stuff. And also since I have free time for the first time in a very long time, um, I'm starting, I shot some stuff today too, for my social media. So some fun, some serious, and I'm probably going to keep doing that as long as we're housebound. So, well, it's not a bad option for you to be able to go down into the basement and put a video together if you're good at that type of thing. I'm not great with video, but if you have the ability to pull it off and you can send something to someone where they can pop it up on a screen and show everyone, you know, where they're in the comfort of their own home, kind of like I am and you are right now, then not a bad gig if you don't have to drive six hours to Kansas or wherever it is that, you know, they want this talk. But at the same time, it's just not the same as getting up there on a stage in front of people. Yes. Yeah. And that was my biggest thing. So a lot right now, um, it's called the meetings and events industry, which is where they do all these conference, you know, people who do conferences and hotels and so forth. So all my speaker friends, you know, they've, they've lost their events as well. And most of them, it's an easy translation to be able to do a live event virtually, like over the computer. But with humor, I'm like, when there's, you don't have that energy of the audience, you have no idea how it's coming across because it's way different in person than it is over the camera. Um, Because if you've ever seen like any of the comedians on Netflix, if you were there in the audience, it's so much funnier than just sitting in your, you know, having a chuckle or two. It's very different. So that's been a interesting obstacle that I'm kind of trying to f- work out as we speak. Yeah, that seems very challenging to me to not have the reaction of a crowd because you're feeding off of them. And mm. then you kind of have an idea of how it's going or maybe what direction you should take it if you are going to pivot and maybe switch up some material. I know some people don't do that and they just stick to the material that they have and that's it. But if you're if you're reading the room and you think you want to go in a different direction, you can't really do that when it's a, a virtual presentation. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, you know, so much of comedy is timing and you you just have a natural sense of timing the laughs, like how long to let them laugh before hitting them with the next line or so forth and um or just giving a a, like a a little bit of space um and you don't have that at all so it's like the timing you have no idea and if you just plow through your material it won't go well either yeah let's talk about the um piece that i saw that you put together uh addressing the situation that we're in right now as you mentioned you're being impacted uh, my family's being impacted all my friends have been impacted everyone's being impacted in some way and even if it's not financially for them yet it easily could be but there's a lot of people out there right now struggling or will be struggling soon financially and maybe it hasn't hit yet because it's not the end of the month and the payments aren't due yet but it's coming and it's coming mm-hmm. for a lot of us um but you talked about you know, how you almost died and you've lost a marriage before you lost a job. So you've kind of experienced that situation before, but explain it a little deeper for people who haven't had a chance to read what I read. So I've been reading a lot of articles, especially since I'm considered something that's self-employed where I work for myself um, or, you know, they call it a gig economy where you have a side jobs and so forth. And all of that has stopped. And so everything I've read has been like, you got to keep pushing, you got to hustle, you got to, you know, stick to your routines. And um, I've done that in the past and when things were falling apart and it, it didn't go well. In fact, that's really uh, um, after things died down, that's when the PTSD and the severe depression hit. And I'm concerned. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people, once this is over and they've been struggling and survival and the stress of everything, they're going to find themselves struggling with just some negative feelings as well. Um, because it's so much change and so much uncertainty in such a short amount of time. So 
this idea of you just got to hustle, you got to keep your chin up, you got to stay productive. Um, there is truth to that. And some people operate well that way, but a lot of people don't. And so I wanted to give a voice to the people who feel like they are struggling, maybe with anxiety or, you know, just the fear of the unknown and not knowing what to do, but also the fact that they're getting up and not really sure how to even get through the day. Like they have big plans <laughs> and then you find yourself Netflix binged for, you know, 14 hours. And I think that's normal. I think that that is actually in some ways healthy. Um, because it is too much change to process all at once and your body's stress response and everything that your mind and your body and your emotions is going through is going to make you tired. You're going to feel overwhelmed. It's just, you're going to feel afraid. You know, you're worrying about the bills. You're worrying about maybe a loved one getting the virus or yourself. It's, uh, there's a lot of fear there. So, um, I have chosen not to be productive, even though I don't have any income coming in. Um, instead, I've learned the hard way to focus on something else. And what that is, is basically to allow myself to feel the feelings as they come. So when I have moments of, oh my gosh, you know, as you said, the end of the month when the paychecks come, that anxiety to go ahead and say, yeah, this is scary. Like, okay. You know, and just to rather than shove it down and keep moving forward to allow myself to feel those feelings for a bit and then move on with my day. Um, because then when it's all said and done, I'm not going to find myself with this overwhelming amount of negative emotion that suddenly hits when it's all done. Um, I'm trying to process it as it comes. And the other thing is trying to figure out a routine that actually does work for me. So a lot of people are saying, just stick to your same routine. Well, that's really hard when you've, you know, you've got four kids and a pregnant wife and you're working from home. And the idea of just sticking to a routine is not realistic for most of us. And um, it's really about finding a new normal and learning to adapt and change in the environment that you're in. I think that that's exploring what that looks like is more important than just producing um, because you're not a robot. You can't just put stuff out. Um, you've got to kind of play around with your environment and with your family life and how you're feeling. Because once you get that established, then it's much easier to then produce. So I focused on that first for myself for two weeks. Now it's been, um, and I'm finally in a place where like I could shoot video today and I, and I wrote the article on Wednesday and that's because I've um, allowed myself to fall apart, feel whatever, but also rather than worry and panic about, oh, I got to make money now of, okay, I don't have control over this situation. No one's hiring me. You know, um, I have a suppressed immune system. I can't do like a grocery store job and expose myself. Um, so I'm kind of stuck, you know, of just mm -hmm. dealing with the moment as it is. Um, and I, and so, and I've done some things as well, as far as establishing what it looks like to take care of myself and my family as well in the moment. What does that feel so, like for you? Like when you get to that point where you realize, A, there's nothing you can do about it, but also when you see some of those things that maybe you weren't doing for the family or your spouse or whatever, and then how do you kind of work through that? Is that something you talk about? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, You know, one of the things that I had to learn when I was really with my first husband's illness and then losing the house and not being able to work um, after the divorce, I actually had to go as far as in the thought process of today I have a roof over our head and we've eaten. And that was it. Like, like, so when I would start to panic, I'm like, I, I don't have the money for tomorrow, but today I do. Everybody's okay. And that's what I had to focus on. I could not look ahead because it was too scary. 
And somehow, day by day, um, you get through it. And I think that people, you know, when you look ahead, um, it's so overwhelming. And I hadn't, when I was in, every time I was in the hospital, I wasn't able to walk. It was extremely, brutally painful. And when I would first get in the hospital, if you asked me if I could walk to even the door of my room, I, I would have said, no, I can't do it at all. I can't do it. And I would have just shut down. I had to break it down of, it's okay, today I'm going to make myself roll over. And then the next day it's like, okay, today I'm going to sit up. And the next day, today I'm going to learn how to get in the wheelchair or the walker, and I'm going to take it one step at a time. And I think in a moments like this, like with your bills and all of those kind of things, if you look ahead to the end of the month, you look ahead to two months, three months, you're going to panic and shut down. It's like, okay, today I'm going to do the smallest thing, but it's moving forward, and that's important. Yeah, I was talking to my wife for a minute before we started here, and I had been working all morning. I did the morning show, and then I was working on my advertising job and trying to get everything done for the weekend to get it turned in. And I find myself at <clears throat> like on this roller coaster, you know. Of that's why I think it was important to have you on, and I really appreciate some of the things that you've said and and will say. I'm sure before we get done here, but um, it's just there's so many different thoughts you know, that come with the situation that we're in, like the situation that you were in that are help, that's helping you deal with this situation now and hopefully will help other people deal with this situation as they listen to this. Um, but so many things are coming at us on a daily basis anyway. And now we have like the ultimate curveball that's going to test all of us. And it's hard when you are, you know, in a situation where you've spent so long building something up. And that's the case for me where, you know, I, I got fired 11 years ago and had to start over, you know, and, and my wife was pregnant with our first child and that was 11, just over 11 years ago. And, and so there was that challenge, which I thought was the ultimate challenge, but I took the leap of faith and it ended up working out and my life changed dramatically because of it. And so then for 11 years to rebuild everything and build it up to something, you know, financially that I never thought possible, you know, it was incredible. We've been really fortunate to do a lot of different things and, and to be able to help in a lot of different areas. And all of a sudden, almost all of it is just ripped right out from underneath you. And it's not mm -hmm. anyone's fault. And so to try and understand, you know, what's happening and, and how it's all going to work out, it's impossible to know where it's going to go. And when you have those thoughts, for me, you know, a few a few minutes ago before we jumped on here was that, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, well, we know that... You know, I, a lot of our advertisers canceled because they're not open and um, commission business. So right then, it's all it's like you, no gigs, no money. Uh, and that's how it works is, is trying to like just wrap your mind around it. And then I have to like back up, stop for a second and go, okay, just exactly what you just said. We have a roof. I've got wood in the wood stove. I'm standing in front of it, thawing out because my door shut all morning in the bedroom and the heat doesn't get in here. But so I go, <laughs> that's my spot now since I'm not at work anymore, you know, and I've been at home. Um, but stand there and I was even like, I'm trying to do a better job of like verbalizing to my wife who's doing a week and a half what is going on up here because my thoughts anyway just spin like i'm always thinking what's next what's next what do we got to do where we, you know all that and then to to be in this situation and have even more on top of it to be able to just stop and just kind of let it flush through a little bit you know and just kind of just let you just let you have your moment to just we can't control a month from now i have to constantly tell myself a month from now doesn't matter here's my priority the priority is First of all, getting that baby out before it gets really crazy at the hospital, which is we're seeing the wave, and we'll figure everything else out. Like that—that's all to me. That's the priority number one. And so to just, but it takes a lot mentally. And I mean, you know, the first time you went through it, when you were in a spot where you thought you were going to die, like you hadn't dealt with it until then. Well, now you've been through it so many times. It's like a, a blessing and a curse, right? That you've had to go through it so many times, but. Now you're sharing what you've dealt with with other people. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I, and that's where like that whole, you got to be productive. You've got to keep going thing. I, I, I don't believe in because there is so much emotion. It's exhausting. It's exhausting just dealing with what, you know, you shared of the stress of what you're going through. And I just really want people to know that there's so much power in this and in, in giving yourself grace that it is okay right now to not be okay. And I don't think any of us are okay right now. And to give that a voice and acknowledge it somehow just releases a lot of that pressure of trying to be in a place that we're not like, it's okay. I, I, it's okay for me to feel this way. It is sucks right now. It does. It's hard. It might get harder, unfortunately. Um, but I think that, you know, um, and I know that when hard times strike because of what you've been through 11 years ago, that we don't actually know what we're truly capable of, that we are so much stronger than we know. We're smarter. We adapt better. Like there's things in us that we don't know exist because we've never been in a situation that's required that of us. And I, I really commend you for it's actually a good thing that you feel stressed about the income and whatever, because it means you obviously desire to take care of your family. And that's a really good quality, a wonderful character trait. And so for you to feel that is a good thing because it shows that you care. So just giving it a voice. And that's the thing that I struggled with for a long time. It was one of my, my biggest aha moments was people, <laughs> I didn't know why I was so frustrated with them because they would give me advice, you know, about what I was going through. And they'd say, well, you got to think positive. You know, you, you can't, you know, just, um, be, you can't be in a negative space or um, you got to have faith or you've got to, like, it was, it was like this weird thing that I wasn't allowed to um, experience anything negative. And one day I, I just had this thought, this aha moment of, you know, our pain is priceless. And what was happening was no one was acknowledging my pain. No one was saying, gee, I'm so sorry you're going through all this now. Like I just needed that tiny bit of acknowledgement to then move forward. And I just want to give people that to say, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing all of this stress. It's normal. It's okay. But I also believe in each and every person listening that you are capable of more than you know. And, you know, really getting, staying connected with your friends and your family and learning how to work together to get each other out of the situations that we find ourselves in right now, you know, with your job and so forth. Um, that's going to be important, just that sense of connection and networking and learning from one another to adapt with, you know, with your business, with my business and so forth. So, yeah. And maybe it means a different business. We don't know. And that's the thing, as long <laughs> as you don't freak yourself out too much when, you know, thinking about what, what that road could look like, you know, as you move forward and, and head down that path. But, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of people in that situation where they have to be open to trying something else, I think. And it, it may not be pleasant initially, but it, it all can work out. And, uh, it, you know, maybe not, maybe the next thing isn't the answer you're looking for or what you'd hoped, but if you're willing to put yourself out there, then it could lead to the next thing. And yeah, we just don't know until we head down that road. And I think for me, you know, being at home, it's, it's, two weeks today. Oddly enough, I had jury duty the week before. So I actually haven't been at work in almost three weeks. Monday will be three weeks. Um, so it feels like forever. But just yeah. removing myself from that situation, which I, I have a great job and um, it was going very well. Uh, but now it's obviously not best case scenario. But also just to to kind of get out of it, get pull yourself out of it and be able to look around and see what I wasn't doing, you know, mm -hmm. and as much as I would like to think that I am the best dad ever, it's probably not the case. I mean, I, I try, but there's a lot of things I could do better. And 
I think just the simple things of, you know, like yesterday when I got done in here and I was here in here for a long time working, I just went for a walk. I'm like, I gotta, we gotta do dinner just a little bit later. I just, I just need to go for a walk. I need some fresh air. And, you know, my four-year-old is out there riding his bicycle around and it's just, you know, just being able to take moments like that where on a normal day, it's just bum, 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 one thing right after another. You know, you walk in the house, dinner's already getting on the table, then it's dinner's on the table and then you got to get the dishes done and then you got to get everyone to bath and then it's reading time and then it's bedtime and then we have 30 minutes and it's bedtime because I got to get up at 4.30. So being able to not be grinding all the time and being able to look at it from a different perspective, I think is very valuable. I agree. Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny because I think most of us are just on autopilot. We're in survival mode and we don't even recognize it. And for me, that was very eye-opening. I really, it took me almost dying to learn how to live. And I find that living is in the small, like what you said. Life, when you look back on your childhood or the best times you've had, it's almost always not a big thing. It was the small things, like he's hanging out with your grandpa or, you know, those summer nights where you were playing with a friend. It's just those little moments that make life so rich and meaningful that in today's pace and today's society, we don't value and we don't even realize it until we lose daily life, like what we're experiencing now to kind of reclaim that. And I think it has the power, you know, once we're through this, for people to really reevaluate what they want out of life and what matters, what's truly important. And for you, I mean, you hear about dads who, you know, it's not till their deathbed when they look back and they realize they wasted all of this time. And, you know, you've got a four-year-old and a baby coming and your kids are young to recognize, you know what, these times with my kids are really what matters. You know, I'm trying to provide for them and give them a good life, but this, these are the moments that they're going to remember. That and your meltdowns, because trust me, we're all having them as parents, right? <laughs> right. I feel like I'm always on the verge, <laughs> which I'm a Virgo, yes. so... You know, I may be an emotional creature anyway, but you put me in a situation like this and obviously us expecting a baby has amplified that because it makes the situation just a little bit more complicated, especially <laughs> since it has to do with medical that, you know, that's, that's why we're all in this predicament here. So that, uh, makes it a little nerve wracking, but no, you're right. I mean, I was thinking about it and I think I may have mentioned it the other day when I had my old morning show partner on Amanda and talking about my grandma had brought me this box. She went to the ambulance station and she put together this whole tote full of everything we would need in case we needed to have the baby at home. And, have you been uh, YouTubing it then like home birth? Yeah. Well, we're not, we don't want that to happen, but right. This but is, just in case. this is uh this was Sunday, right? So almost a week ago. And she, Wanted to make sure that if it got bad enough, because we don't know about the curve, we don't know what the hospital is going to look like, and just so that if some if it got to a point where we absolutely had to do it here, she wanted to make sure that we at least had the supplies. And she worked on the Glendale ambulance for forty years, so she you know she's well versed in all that and has delivered plenty of babies. And so she printed off all these pages out of her booklet and highlighted what I'd need to read, which reminds me I still haven't read them, and I should probably do that today <laughs> before it's too late. But um. <laughs> This is the long way of me saying that uh, when she stopped by, because I told her, like, we haven't had, we haven't let anyone in the house for a week, couple mm -hmm. weeks now. Like, we're on lockdown. Like, we don't want anything possibly coming in here that's going to jeopardize the situation. And when she showed up, she, you know, set the tote there. And I was out working on the tractor and trying to get the play area fixed that was overgrown with weeds, which was one of the things on my to do list that I've put off for way too long. So I was actually <laughs> trying to tackle that even though I may not be able to afford the load of gravel right now, but that's another story. But anyway, uh, I was just thinking when she said it there and I had my sunglasses on and I was just staring at her, like we're literally six feet away and like mm -hmm. all I want to do is hug her, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. like, that's when I say it's like, I'm, I'm that close at any moment to getting emotional. Like, you talk about those memories that you have. Like it was one of those times where I was just like, huh, well, here we are. And like, we're that close, but yet 
that's not happening because we're trying to be, you know, proactive and not that she's sick or anything, but we don't know. We don't know who the carriers are right of this coronavirus. So yeah, it's those little things, which that's going to stick with me for probably ever, you know, and there'll be a time where hopefully sooner than later that can be a thing. And that's, I think, you know, when I was talking to my kids last night at the table, I was asking them what's the first thing they want to do. Um, when we can, you know, venture out and, uh, sorry. Uh, you know, they're talking about going to see their, their grandparents. I'm like, man, I just want to like, I want to just, I would just like, I mean, I don't need a vacation. Like if I could drive, drive to Glendale and go hug everyone or hug a stranger, you know, hug a stranger. I'd hug anyone right now, you know, obviously I have my kids and my wife here, but yeah, you just, we just don't until it's not an option. You don't really, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of loss. It's a lot of change. It's just so much. And, um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I appreciate your vulnerability and, and, and authenticity and being able to express that because that's what people need to hear. I think most people are having moments, you know, Mm. of this is surreal. This just is so strange and we don't, necessarily know the right things to do to adapt and so just giving yourself grace and recognizing that it's okay to not be okay yeah and i think for a lot of people you know it's uh i would like to think that i do a good job of verbalizing feelings but definitely not always the case but you know just for people in general especially guys i'm not trying to pick on you guys but we're not good at it you know, a lot. And, uh, then you get thrust into a situation like this. So if you don't verbalize as it is, and then you get put in an even harder situation, things can get ugly, you know, I mean, you get angry, huh? (laughs) Things can be not good. And, you know, it's terrible to even think that, you know, a time like this, my wife even mentioned it. She's like, Oh, I didn't even think like, you know, in these abusive situations, like you don't, people don't really think about that who aren't in one. You know, or at least I I hadn't really thought about that. And someone said, hey, just, you know, she was saying, hey, you know, I, I said something on the news about, you know, how hard this must be for people who are home all the time. And I hadn't even thought about it because people end up in those situations. And it's just, instead of getting frustrated, and I can't remember if it was in the thing you wrote or somewhere else where I talked, where it talked about, um, you know, how people get frustrated with the kids and jump in at any point if that was in your thing but it was something about like how parents can get frustrated so easily especially right now mm-hmm. and instead of you know jumping all over the kids for something just just let it go you know where normally you might think it's a good idea to tell them not to do this or whatever just don't because they don't get it you know they they're trying to understand especially ours they're not really old enough to quite understand so just to not not overreact yeah, yeah. You know, I it, this was in a different article that I wrote. Um, I wrote one on like the se- seven work from home things because p- everybody's suddenly working from home. But one of them is that <laughs> um, the ability to know how you deal with stress negatively. And some of us get angry. Some of us cry. Some of us just crawl, curl up in a ball. Like we all do things differently in the way that we respond. And um, if you don't know how you react negatively, as I said in the article, just ask your significant other. I'm sure they're more than happy to tell you. (laughs) If they they haven't told you already. (laughs) Yeah, if they haven't told you, I'm sure they could express that. And really to have a family conversation about this is how this is how I react and this is what I need in those moments. So like my husband when he's stressed, he's he's like a, most guys where he he gets angry and he needs time to go work out or to just listen to music and work on his music. Like he needs to remove himself from the situation, not talk it out. Whereas somebody else might mean I need to talk it out in the moment or I need, you know, um, to be distracted and just have some time with the TV. Like these are the things that I need when I'm really freaking out. So to be able to do that and give each other freedom in the house to be able to pen, to let go of some of those pent up emotions, whether that's go cry for 10 minutes, do 10 minutes of push-ups, anything like that, just to get those feelings like physically out in a 
healthy way, um, I really recommend that. Go for, like you said, going for a walk. You had to go for a walk yesterday. That's a really great thing. You know, studies show that being out in nature for 20 minutes significantly boosts your, um, you, like your serotonin levels and it lowers your stress and it just does a lot of good things for you, plus the vitamin D. Yeah. So it's a good. And especially now coming out of winter, even though it wasn't a really harsh winter here, it's always a good idea to get some of that vitamin D. Yes, especially in Oregon, because you got to get it while you can. (laughs) Yeah, because you guys in Colorado, you get a lot more sunlight, right? I mean, it'll snow, but then it'll be sunny. Yeah. So like today was sunny. It's supposed to snow tonight and tomorrow's going to be sunny. So that that's like one of the main reasons people are like, why don't you move back to Oregon? I'm like, I love the sun here really? so much. Yeah. We have averaged about 300 days of sunshine. That sounds really good to me right now. Even though we've had yeah. a really mild winter and we have had a lot more sun than we usually have here in Southern Oregon in the wintertime. But yeah, I could do 300 days of sun. Yeah. So you, t- you can be outside like pretty much year round. You know, it's just colder in the yeah. winter, but it's still sunny and people are still out biking and hiking and skiing. And, and so you can be active all the time. I love that. Not that I am. I'm really more curled up in front of Netflix, but it makes it sound important <laughs> if I'm like, yeah, I'm out biking. And <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know for me, I told my boss yesterday, he said something about, oh, you're probably about done working at home or, you know, you about had it or whatever, considering we have, you know, all the kids and whatever. I said, no, I'm. Wearing a hooded sweatshirt. I have shorts on. I'm not wearing slacks. I don't have any shoes on. And I haven't put pants on in two weeks. So, no. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good right here. I don't know that he wanted to hear that, but I'm not coming back to work anytime soon. So, I'm going to keep wearing shorts. I don't care that it's March and 50 degrees outside. <laughs> so, what haven't we touched on? I I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think I just want to encourage you guys that, you know, um, we will get through it. You'll experience a lot about yourself. You didn't know existed good and bad and that's okay. You know, we learn through painful circumstances, unfortunately, like we always want the easy route, but that's not what makes us better people. And this has the power and the potential for people to really, um, for you all to really just um, figure out what's important to you in life and reevaluate the way that you're living and choose differently from here on out uh, to really have a life that you want. Yeah. A I life that for, brings you joy. I think for some, it's going to be business as usual. Um, I would hope not because I definitely think, <coughs> excuse me, I definitely think there's a lot of things to be learned from this. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are completely different coming out of this and some, hopefully most for the better, you know, because I think that there's a lot of things that you can do to better yourself in a time like this. And I'm trying to keep my eyes open to pick up on as many of those things as possible as we go through it here. Um, but just find maybe that thing that, that you really wanted to do or those things that you weren't doing and, and do them moving forward or at least keep your eyes open to try and identify those things because there's still plenty of opportunities out there to do things and to get better at a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. And that can be and that doesn't have to be huge stuff. It can just be tiny things like you said making sure, you know, maybe for somebody it's I they're enjoying the time with their kids like when they go for a walk and they're going to make that a priority a couple times a week or once a week or whatever. You know, it's just, it can be really small changes in your life that improve it, that make it a good life. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, the cool, one of the coolest things for me is that there's been a lot of people, um, reach out. I almost said come out of the woodwork, but they were already there. People have reached out. There's a lot of caring people out there, you know, and you really get to see in a situation like this who, who is by your side, you know, people that are willing to help. And also like, it makes me think like, who have I not reached out to who may need something, may need some help. And it's just good to think about. And like you said, in the rat race and when we're just grinding all the time, it's hard to see those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of those people is blowing me up right now for some reason. Hold on one second. I know this is very unprofessional, but it's my podcast, and I'm sure you probably won't mind for it. Hey, I'm trying to record a podcast here, and I'm talking about friends that aren't friends, and so I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> From the courthouse? I got to go. I'll call you back. I'm serious. Bye. <laughs> you don't even want to know what that was, but I'm going to tell you anyway. She said back to jury duty and the person who just called me, her mom was on the jury with me and she said the courthouse called her mom to tell her she may have been exposed to someone who had coronavirus. So we're just going to put oh, that over no. here and we'll address yes. that later. Yes. Oh boy. I need a really big walk now. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It is what it is, right? Like we could have any of us could have been exposed at any time, which is why we decided to shut it down when we did. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'll call her back and find out what that's all about. But anyway, what was I saying about people coming out of the woodwork? Yeah, she's one of them. She dropped a 12-pack on my doorstep and a bunch of Skittles and M&Ms for the kids the other day. So that was very nice of her. Wow. It's little things sometimes, you know? Although, you know, six-pack and candy for the kids, that's pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. uh, Yeah. Sorry for picking up the call. Something told me I needed to do it, and now I'm starting to question my decision-making process. But anyway, um, yeah, there's just a lot of good people out there, and there's a, a lot of uh, things we can do for other people. So it's it's good to, to be on the lookout. And I really appreciate you joining me here, especially on short notice. I, I've kind of seen what you're doing from afar, and uh, it's cool that you're you're getting to do something that you love and that you've – Jeez, just survived all these times, five times, you said, right? Of dealing with this situation from stepping on the nail to getting the infection. And man, now you're, you know, you're now you're doing virtual videos in your basement. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would have thought? You're like, I gotta go to the basement, do some virtual videos. Um, yeah. but yeah, you know, and also for me, not only is it cool what you're doing. But we went to the same high school, and there's so many people who never thought they'd get out of Glendale. Granted, I only made it 25, 30 miles down the road. Um, but there's a lot of us who have moved on to do very interesting things, amazing things. And, uh, I mean, you're just one of those great examples of someone who uh, just kept doing it and picking yourself back up and that you can actually get out there and do something you enjoy if you really want to keep trying and you don't want to, you know, you, you won't give up. Yeah. 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 It's so, that's so cool that we went to the same school. It really is because no one's ever heard of it. And so, you know, we got to stick together. (laughs) Well, and there's, you know, who else I, um, ran into recently is, uh, Tom Pappas. Um, and not Tommy, but Tom, uh, his uncle. And, uh, I was going to get him on here because they've built things in Las Vegas, Disneyland, and he went to Glendale High School and his nephew was in the Olympics. I mean, there's there's quite a few people who have done there's amazing things. We in have the veterinarians, water. we have uh, you know, <laughs> we have all kinds of different people. Yeah, I think it's cuz we were so isolated. We just really had to dig in mentally and <laughs> <laughs> I guess and who knows, I might working. have to go back there soon and go drive truck or something depending on how this whole situation goes, but you know what? If that's what happens, then we'll just go for it. Yes. Yeah. So absolutely. tell everyone listening where they can find you because I know you have a website, you're on Instagram. Give us all of the, the handles so people can take a look and see what you're up to. Sure. My website is Stacy Peterson, but it's Peterson with a D. So it's hard to explain, but it's P E D as in David, E R S O N. So Stacy at stacypeterson.com. And uh, my Instagram is at Stacy Peterson Official. And LinkedIn and Facebook are Stacy Peterson Comedy, all with a D. Maybe you're out there looking for a guest speaker or just some good yeah. humor. 
And yeah. uh, oh, I was laughing earlier. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. I'm on YouTube too. So that's what I was watching <laughs> earlier before I got connected with you here. I was laughing. It's funny. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You thanks, do. And you're job. a guy and you thought it was funny. So that means a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. I laughed. I was watching the bit about uh, the bathing suit that makes you lose 10 pounds or makes you look like you lose 10 pounds and trying to get it on and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need one that makes you look like. 30 by the time we all get out. Oh, I was doing such a good job too. Like I had started running and I haven't really talked about this to many people, just like a handful. And um, so I've been running for like two months and now I've just been walking just cause I, I feel like it's just, that's where I need to be right now. But yeah, I, this, this whole thing is could test the, the pants and or short size in a hurry and the swimsuit size. Yeah, when I looked at my actually right before you got on, I was checking my phone and my little heart thing, you know, on my iPhone that tells you how many steps you've walked. 71. I've walked 71 steps today. Today? <laughs> yeah, because I've been sitting shooting the videos. I was like, huh, that's not good. I'm a little shy of the 10,000 steps. So did <laughs> so. you just walk to the basement and just stay there? Yeah, I've been down here all day. Oh. <laughs> so let's see where I, I went am. up one. That's it. I'm a I'm an hour behind you, but I'm at one 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 seven. So oh, yeah, I'm, well, you got little ones, yeah. Yeah, I I need to get moving. I think this is going to be it for today, though. So done all the work I can do for the most part, and this is kind of like the nice ending to the day. So again, I appreciate your time, and uh, it's been great talking to you, and yes. uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's really great to connect with you. Yeah, you too. Stacy Peterson, it's episode 30, and we have a lot of different places to listen to the podcast, garagetalkpodcast.com, and uh, all over the place, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Android, just it's all there. It's for you to find wherever you choose to listen to podcasts and Instagram, Facebook there too. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I did. And we'll be back again soon. Again, not in the garage. I'm in the bedroom for this episode. And we may be in the bedroom for a while. So thanks for listening. And have a great rest of your day.